You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni from Yerushalayim, Irakadish. We've had quite a little bit of a break here, uh, Dr. Sam, um, but I know your mind has been thinking and working and so many, many different areas. I want to throw you something which, for some reason, uh, I'm thinking about, especially in a period of uh, friends of mine and other uh, people of my vintage uh, and yours, um, that I'm hearing about that they're getting remarried. Um, There was recently a a wedding that um, was a tremendous simcha in the five towns that a, uh, a almona from a husband who had died in a terrible accident and an almine whose wife had died um, after a, a long protracted illness. Uh, they were pillars of the community, the ones who had passed away and people were so worried about what would be the fate of the loneliness of each party. And then they made the shidduch, these two got together and my brother was telling me the great simcha that was there of uh, people would come, realize people can rebuild their lives after uh, they had lost someone in a tragic way that they find once again. And this really is their shalom. We have this uh, all the time. And although, uh, Dr. Sam, we have discussed, of course, uh, the first marriages, and we've discussed what you should look for and what you should perhaps realize are uh, expectations that are unrealistic and carving out your own space. I don't think we've ever tackled the specific question of Zivik Shani, um and the dynamic of Zivik Shani. Um and, and let's talk about Zivik Shani, uh, in first about not that, um, like in the case I just mentioned to you, not like the first Shidduch was terrible. It was a marriage that shouldn't have happened. Uh, now I'm finally finding myself and now I'm going to finally find the one for me. That was a mistake. Let's talk first about uh, these older types of shidduchim um, and, and talk about what you think. Uh, obviously, there's a desire to ameliorate the loneliness of and, and had just having someone. But talk about what you think uh, is the dynamic between these two people who have families that they bring to the table. I mean, it's one thing when you have two young people with their whole future in front of them. And here they are going to build and they're going to have that first generation that's they're going to see the Nachas. Now you have these blended families where these uh, uh, people who are already grandparents in some way uh, are coming together. Um, uh, is it, is it, what, what, what do you see there uh, between these two? As usual, this is something that comes with a lot of strings and cobwebs when you raise these issues. Let, let's try to unpack a bit. Um, the uh, dynamics of a second marriage are not any different than the dynamics of fir- the first at all. So um, that's simply understood. Let's say, let's forget about kids. Let's say there are no kids around. It's just the two the two protagonists to each other. Um, so we have two options. We have options that from the perspective of the person who's after a divorce, we have the perspective of the person who is after being widowed. 
So I would say there are zero uh, dynamic differences between a first marriage and the marriage of one who gets divorced, um, especially if, or particularly if the divorce was initiated by that protagonist. So there it's clear, this did not work. I'm going to make it work again. It's the equivalent of getting a new kidney or moving to a different job or to a different city. So the dynamics, what's, you'll ask, what about somebody who was born in the city and works there? How is his job or vocational life, so to speak, different than someone who moved to another city and already had it? live somewhere and live somewhere else. It's the same. You're living there because you need a place to live, you need shelter, you need a identity, you need to relate to people. That's the same. So let's talk about the widowed situation, okay? And especially a widowed situation for someone whose marriage was positive. And, and there it gets a little bit hairy. Um, some people see getting married again after being widowed as a betrayal of the previous spouse. Now, that's definitely true of people who are just, um, let's say you say, intellectually challenged and don't realize that the other person does not exist. Um, I'm talking about people who are not intellectually challenged and they know the other person doesn't exist. And even if they have some kind of ideas of afterlife, which is what some of us have, they still realize that it's not of the level that the spouse is sitting there and um, agitating, getting upset, feeling as a betrayal. You know, how can you possibly? So um, we're talking essentially about unconscious, um, in my terminology, neurotic issues that are going on. So for all intents and purposes, from the, shall we say, psychodynamic perspective, you really feel like you're doing this behind the other person's back or you're doing it um, just because she's like, shut up. It's like almost like a heter mayor abundant where people um, allow themselves to, um, a man allows themselves to get married, even though the other person is there. Or let's say if the husband is quite ill or out of his mind, some people have used annulment procedures these days saying, oh, this was a long-standing problem. And therefore the marriage. So they really see it as a betrayal of some sort. And uh, it's hard for us to have a logical discussion about something that's off the wall from a cognitive perspective. But that's not to say that it isn't the dominant um, feature in people who get remarried after having a, a nice relationship and getting widowed as a result. Still, um, insofar as you do do it, without talking about rationalizations or, or having a seance with your ex-spouse, other than that, or saying what would he or she really want, other than that, you really are looking for whatever you looked for before. Um, I find that incredulous, and I'm also very skeptical. People say, okay, look, so obviously this is not the real thing, but it's pseudo, but I still should do it because it helps for tax purposes, or it helped me not feel lonely. You know, uh, that kind of, I, I think that's baloney from a psychological point of view. Um some people actually feel from the neurotic perspective that they don't deserve to have what they had once before. And again, that comes from other kinds of psychiatric issues, but it's there. You might say it's illogical, but it's there. I, mean, I recognize that it's there. I've never met a person yet who's gotten into a marriage as a widower who doesn't have this kind of perspective. Um, let me see. 
Um, well, if there are, if yeah. there are kids around, it gets more complicated. But I don't know if you want to talk about if there are, if there are adult or or shall we say cogent children around, then it's no longer a mishagas, but you're actually dealing with somebody else's sense that you are betraying or abandoning. And in some cases, it's correct because your relationship with your children will now be different because you have an other dominant relationship in your life which competes with the attention for the children. So there, of course, the children are just as nuts as anybody else is thinking that the, the father or the husband is looking on and disapproving and they are taking umbrage on his or her behalf. But other than being bizarre, it's real. You are deserting them, if not physically or monetarily, you're deserting them from a practical perspective um, in terms of feelings. Your feelings now will be different. Your amount of attention or your amount of um, engagement will be different. So that's, that's I'm trying to unpack this. That's an other Yeah, well, well, let me just, before we get to the children, and I think you're right, that is where things get comp- complicated and, and difficult. But even in the level of would my ex, would my former wife or former husband approve of this? And are, are, are they still really here? So let's, you know, you, you talk about it being psychotic or neurotic, I think is the word you use. I didn't use the term psychotic. Yeah, no. neurotic. It's neurotic. That's what you said. Okay. Uh, the, the the fine difference there escaped me, but I, I yes. Um, oh, it's not fine at all. Yeah, 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 I, I understand. Come to I, any hospital, it's not fine. Yes, okay. I understand. I understand. A psychotic is is something that that a new, many of us uh, are, are saddled with the neuroses, but we aren't psychotic. I get it. But most you know, most of us are saddled with neuroses. In fact, I've met two people who yeah. aren't so far in my life. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so let, let us talk about the fact that. In, in our culture, especially in the Orthodox culture, there is this idea of your finding your bashert, finding, and, and you've talked about it, but 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 it, we know that it does have a lot of provenance. We know that that uh, especially let's say in the seminaries and in the yeshivot, but even you know, even if they're not, even if you're outside of that, a terrible area, phenomenon. If I may comment, a terrible yeah. phenomenon. Right, right, but 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 it it. it, it what it does is, you know, especially things that are sung and described at the wedding and the Sheva Brachas and beyond. This is the Basharat, this is the Zivug. And you convince yourself that that's the, that, is, is, that is it. Let me take it a little bit further. Um, and, and that is that the bonding isn't just that romantic period in the beginning where I found my soulmate, I found my other half. If we talk about someone who has lost uh, a, a spouse due to an illness that was lingering, there, of course, is a uh, in some way that bonds you because if one of if the other partner was at that person's beck and call, was connected, was fighting for that person's life. Uh, was dealing with the doctors. Um, there, it, it cements this idea because not only did they have this romantic ideal that they were a couple and maybe have children and have other lives, but also also through the the terrible illness, it, 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 they became so close. They only be, they became almost like one person because you know. Uh, I, I, I forgot it was from a Zalman Arabach who came in and, uh, with his wife and said, our 
our our our leg is hurting us, the doctor. Um, you wow. hear that he would have trouble if I was the doctor. <laughs> okay, I, I might be, but I believe it was him. Uh, the point is, is that once that the dust has settled, I don't know if the dust ever really settles there. So you're right; it it, it, it is it is something that has entrenched itself. But that, I think, is something, especially from our world, is very hard to shake. And I'm sure there's other cultures that they have the same uh, glorified view of what the marriage is supposed to be. And that's something that's very hard. And I just want to say, you are coupling this with the assumption that, of course, the first marriage was the one that was predestined. And the second one is just ancillary rather than the other way around. I have a neighbor who met someone and told her parents at the time, this is my de- destination, and then married someone else and they lived for like 30 years or so. And I think either got divorced, I think it was a divorce. And then these two got together again and says, okay, this is the, the my dest- destiny has been fulfilled. So you're making an assumption because especially because that's what the jester, the Badhan said at the chuppah, Saying that this is your this way is beyond your that it's way beyond uh, a curiosity. It is it is an idea that finds itself in Shakespeare. It finds itself you know with in in other cultures as well. The idea of the one and mm-hmm. and and I and I would say that whether this and, is and coupled with the presumption that the first one was the one. Yeah, right? yeah. I have to add that. Sure. Right. That's a so, so that is something that's very hard to, especially it's entrenched itself. I think that that's what uh, you know makes it difficult to to just say to to be as analytic and as cold as as, as you are suggesting. Uh, and and I, mean, I, I I don't disagree with anything you just said. I mean, I don't mind being analytic and cold because that's my forte. But I just want to throw a couple of things at you in this context from left field, okay? So let's say um, your mother was the best cook in the world, okay? And she dies, unfortunately. Can you eat uh, at your aunt's house? Can you eat at your wife's house? Can you eat at your uh, in-laws? Is that a betrayal? Okay, so I'm gonna put that first as number one, okay? Then let's talk about number two. Um, You are taking care of an ailing father and an ailing mother, right? From age 14 till age 25. And then you meet a someone who is your um, destiny, your um, soulmate, right? Um, are you betraying? Let's not talk about the fact that you can't empty bedpans or whatever you do. Or let's make it easier. The parent unfortunately dies, right? And now you have a very close attachment to this spouse or to this um, um, loved one that you met. Are you betraying that love? And I'm I'm being absurd, but in a sense, the feelings that many people have is of that type. And also, let's, let's get the elephant into the room over here, okay? There is a feeling among people after the first marriage that they are not entitled to have sexual satisfaction or sexual pleasure. So, of course, they'll find some kind of book that says it's an obligation, that it's a mitzvah, or that you're really doing it for the other spouse's sake who perhaps doesn't have that injunction. Let's say that the other person is not rebounding from a second marriage. But 
that is a, a, a guilt that I would like to put out there and just get the mildew out there. of it and say, shame on you. Shame on anybody who promotes this. And if you want to be stupid, you can say, well, why don't you go and ask your spouse? Go to a sorceress and summon up the soul of your spouse and say, do you feel that I can no longer have any sexual pleasure? And so that's just blatant. And it's so, I find it so disturbing that you know, I, I just basically roll my eyes and I don't say anything because I know I'm talking to someone who in, in the Gemara, they call it Meshuga Ladavarachad. Like this person makes no sense. I'm not talking to him about it at all. So after you get that out of the way, what I would say is that having a close relationship with anyone is not a negation of having a close relationship with someone else, even if it's simultaneous. And that was, yes, I can, can you, which child do you love better? You know, this one or that one. And if you say both, they'll say, okay, somebody taught you to say this as a way of getting into a quagmire. But no, there's no competition. It's not as if there's a, uh, a um, finite reserve of affection, of affiliation, of appreciation of anything. So I, I mean, I'm getting a little bit excited about this because I this is something I want to say to to people who come for consults, and I don't bother because I don't bother wasting my time. Am I wasting my time here? No, because here I'm not expecting to change anybody's mind. I'm just addressing what I consider to be truth. Well, but, um, okay. I, I was actually I was actually going to get to that the elephant or whatever it was that we were saying in the room, but I was going to get to it in a little different way because if we're talking about like in, in the in the case that I was mentioning about this this um, the simcha. Now again, they might already you know be men and women that are still in a sense vital. I, you know, the vitality of course is really dependent on on each person. But you know, I was telling hey, you, hey, I haven't met anybody who's not vital. Okay, I think it's I think it's a fiction. I think that's part of the socialization we have. It's basically a Protestant um, socialization that nah. That's something you don't mention, you don't think about. It's not really there. It's uh, that kind of stuff. So I don't okay. think violence is the qualification. Okay. But there's definitely a lack. Look, Ishmael, we, we we could we could bring in um, gerontologists and others, and I know that they talk about promoting healthy sex lives for men and women into their seventies and eighties. No. Condoning and allowing, not promoting. It doesn't have to be promoted. Nobody has to read a book in order to get there. Okay. The point is that they're promoting it in a way that don't think that sex is over uh, because you're turned right 60 on, years old. Right, right on. Right okay. on. Okay. But there, it de- the interest level, uh, the hormonal uh, aspects within your body has definitely lowered. And um, ditto, ditto for eating, by the way. Ditto for eating. Yes. Right. So therefore, well, I would say that for... <clears throat> Some of these couples, it's about, as you said before, uh, having a person to look at at the other side of the breakfast table, uh, someone to uh, to be with on Shabbos. Again, I heard it uh, from my own father when he was searching for uh, a, a someone to not take my mother's place, as he said, but just someone that he shouldn't be so alone. And he would say to me that it isn't about the romance, and um, because he was extremely infatuated with, with my mother, Oshalom, and that, they, they, that was young. And maybe he was saying that to me just so I shouldn't get other thoughts. 
I know that, right? But I, I sort of feel that. Let me just interrupt. If you were a real good son, what you should have done is the same thing that the brother said to Joseph when he when he caught him. Okay, I spoke to mom, and she <laughs> told me to tell you, please go ahead and get married. It's fine with me. It's the right thing for you. You would have taken a load off his shoulders. And no, you- no, he was. He, I was actually. Uh, positive about him pursuing this um and he actually did pursue it pretty well uh he got himself uh, uh he started wearing his dentures and other things so there was <laughs> it was it was to me i was i was it was amusing to see him in in courtship mode he shaved he actually shaved <laughs> yes 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 he was he was in courtship mode uh, on that but my point was is that i believed him i don't think he was just saying it to me that i shouldn't have like, horrible ideas in my head of him having sex oh no no he convinced woman. him he convinced himself or you know his mind was messed around enough by the gatekeepers of whatever they're gatekeeping to make him, you know, feel that uh, he has but, to come up with... Uh, with but Sam, well, well, look, let me say it more clinically. Can you talk about uh, the situation where that's, in fact, the case? I'm saying people, people no in libido, 60s no libido, they got it. Yeah, their libido was put this way, especially if, let me put it this way, there's some, if a young person with a, with an ill spouse, they've probably been frustrated because the spouse probably has not uh, had any uh, desire or, and, and you feel, you know, to be involved in, in, in a sexual way. I can imagine a 30, 40 year old, someone who was, especially with, with an ill spouse that they weren't able to have normal sexual relations for a long time. And now that they get, they find someone else. I can imagine that that, but once a person has reached uh, more of an advanced age, and again, I don't want to uh, put a, a a specific yes, stay away from the numbers. Good for from you. The number. Go ahead. But let's say an age where they that even when the wife and husband weren't sick, even let's say let's say it's a husband. Let's say before the wife developed this cancer, they still were basically it was it was months and months in between mm-hmm. any sexual and 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 and, and let's use your Rebbe. He'd already sublimated his sexual desire into the book that he was writing and other things, his memoirs and other sorts of uh, physical activity events and other things that were hitting the same mental sweet spots. <laughs> so he didn't really feel that he was missing something. The wife passes away. And again, there, I don't know if, oh, now here's my chance. We're starting back from square one. He's our, you, his better, bu- you better believe it. Go ahead. <laughs> you believe that's what's happening because yeah because i would say sam i am the- now gonna make up for all the inadequacies ahead of my life with the pretense that i'm doing it just because i don't want to eat chocolate by myself uh, but really what's going on behind it is here's here's a chance to i'm not talking i'm not talking, talking sexual at all i'm talking just whatever i missed caring this and that i now have a chance to rerun this movie uh, concern, whatever, whatever it is. Sure. Well, again, whether that's... that's again, again, I, I, I'm, I'm playing, you know, an advocate over here. I understand. Let's assume that we have a situation where that is not the, the, the uh, explicit or maybe even implicit motivation, right? I, I'll tell you, you know, it, it sort of hit me just now, and I know this is not your bread and butter, but you know that recently, um, and, and I'm, I'm going to put it out there for anybody that's listening that they uh, i think it's a wonderfully drawn sketch uh you know of course who art spiegelman is yes so art spiegelman is a pulitzer prize um cartoonist who 
was the author of Mouse. Now, I don't know, it's not really your type of book, but I, I know that you, um, I know you've, I know you've seen it, right? You've seen Mouse. And it haunts me. Yeah. To me, I, I, you know, part of what I think, you know, in the Whoopi I Gold, think it's a raw form of Primo Levi, if you need my judgment here. Well, and, and I related to Mouse incredibly because to me, Vladek, I knew Vladek. I'm saying, you know, his dad, the way he was drawn, the words that he used, his the combination of his intelligence and his um, cheapness. I don't know how else to say it. I know there's a fancier word to say it is miserliness and um, his determination and and his ideas and his put downs. I knew that person. I knew that I knew that person intimately. It wasn't my dad, but it was very close in many, many ways. And I'm not sure how you felt, but what was I think incredible because you know Vladik, Vladik's wife. That's that's can come in multiple um, yeah. presentations. So don't no, say Vlad- it wasn't. Never say it wasn't. Never say it wasn't. Okay, Vladik's wife who died, who actually kills herself, and that's part of what you know. Uh, already uh, you know the you know the protagonist is, is is dealing with and that was that actually was the thing that in the Tennessee school board uh, got the book in trouble because it was a throwback to uh, a car, you know a cartoon that Spiegelman had drawn about his mother you know after his mother's suicide but what the there's another element in that book which is incredible which is his relationship with his second wife Mala and um and you can see with the put downs, you can see with the the way they talk. Mala comes to Artie and and speaks to him about how his father is treating her, and and I was to me that was so it was the verite. The second wife is always going to be in a way I think compared to what the first wife was, and, and some of it is the imagined um, mm-hmm. uh, aspect of the first wife. The, the religious part that you said about the, the zivug and her neshama is here. But there's also the frustration that older people have with themselves and with the life around them. And can't they, you're, you're saying now is your chance to do a rerun. But the, the baggage that you bring to it, and you know, Mala was suffering in, in Mouse because she constantly was being compared to the dream image of the first wife. And that really led to a, a lot of dis, discord and brought out a lot of ugliness between them. I'm sure you're familiar with that as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, how does a person in these second marriages uh, able to, you know, as they find out more and more about the new spouse, what's going to uh, protect them from turning into Vladek and Mala from Mouse? You're really turning into chapter two of this, which is the converse of what we talked about, not dealing with your demons, but projecting what it means to be a second fiddle. So we're talking the second marriage as seen by the person other than the protagonist. And I was centering it on the protagonist and saying, how am I being viewed? It's one step away. And there you really can let your uh, demons run crazy. 
Because words, it's a, que- a question of what am I feeling? What am I not feeling? You have some sort of reality check or some sort of saying, I know my spouse and she'd be perfectly okay with this. Or in reality, my spouse lacked the ability to uh, be honest and this person is honest. But here you're dealing with the projections of someone saying, what is my partner, this new partner thinking about me? And there, there is no reality check at all. Because even if you ask him or her and they tell you something, you say, yeah, 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 but... That's really what's going on. But, but like, Sam, it's I have, not. I have, there is no answer to that. That will, that will, you see, dealing with demons is much more difficult than dealing with like uh, actual devils that are doing things to you. Because here it's a projected demon. There's no way out. You will Wait. always be doubting and second guessing yourself. Uh, I'm not you talking about. I'm not talking about Mala's sense. Like in this case, the second wife's sense of being insufficient or being second rate. I'm talking about the real. Right, sure. The, the real bitterness that the that that Vladek, the husband sure, who lost his sure. wife, projected upon her. He couldn't help but you know constantly complain about her. He couldn't help but yep. but but close himself off even more. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and therefore, you know, when 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 we when we suggest second marriages, I think we have to be careful about who we're suggesting it to. You know, maybe before a person who loses someone says, well, I'm now going to start over and it's natural and normal. Maybe they need to go through a psychological uh, test. Maybe they shouldn't think of it as starting over. Starting over has a reparative, uh, um, uh, like a healing uh, kind of air. It's just that, so what do we do now? I just was fired. So am I starting over? Is it the same job? No, it's not the same job, but it's still going to give me X, Y, and Z, even though it won't give me A, B, and C. So um, it, it's the same. If you have the fantasy that you're starting over and you, there are, is no, there is no cleaning of the slate. There is no detergent around anywhere to clean the psycho- psychological slate. It's there. Oh no, I, I don't don't mean to uh, poo-poo that at all. I don't mean to belittle it. It's a real. It's not only a real concern. Look, be, being a second child is always. Uh, a situation of facing the handicap that there is a first child already. And then when the third child comes around, that's a, a, a threat to the second child as well and to the first. So I, I am not knocking that. I am not knocking that. And especially if this first child starts thinking about what is that thinking or mom thinking, do they like me better? Then we have the equivalent of mala. That's what's going on. Well, well, and, that's, yeah. and that's actually true that some parents do have different, it's the same, that's why I said, you know, the analogy to parental relationships are no, is no, uh, is not faulty from when you look at the, um, the marital or the, um, you know, the, the dyadic relationship of a peer. Sure. I think, you know, what I would say, of course, again, Vladik, and and I really uh, would suggest our listeners, you know, it's worth taking a, you know, people feel that mouse. Well, in certain is, states, you can't get it. Isn't it banned yet already? It's not okay, banned yet. Okay, let me. Well, it's 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 running off the shelves on Amazon because you can't find it anymore because it's sure, such a. Just, right? just but, but, but but my point is is that you know in the Whoopi Goldberg brouhaha about it, people didn't realize that mouse. First of all, <laughs> again, it's not just this is the the story of what the how the Holocaust came down. It's really the story about what it means to survive and to live through and what the toll it takes from mm-hmm. you and the toll sure. it takes on the family. That's really what it's about. Now, it also indicates how- might ter- call it part, I mean, in, in psychiatric terms, we call it partial survival. Some right. stuff didn't make it out. Yeah, and that, that's for sure true. And that Spiegelman does an incredible job 
of of being able to portray through images, through ideas. It was just the the, the whole package. You know, it bothers me so much that another Jewish author of very great uh, repute, who's known to be a, a, a real, was known as a real Balkishan, Philip Roth, was very dismissive of Mouse. He called it just, ah, it's a comic book. It really is much more than uh, pictures that, that, that push a story. But my point is, is that I don't know if Vladik... I think Philip Roth does that because really they're kinsmen. I mean, they both use like... Um absurd um shall we say visual graphic images and uh, uh non-acceptable shall we say non-acceptable percept to bring out a a concept which otherwise would get um you know choked off by all kinds of repressions this yeah. is too bold or too crazy you're right you're right they're they're more similar but anyway the, the um, spiegelman actually tried to get to to you know speak to Roth, and Roth was always very, as he was known to be. But but here's my point, not about Mouse and about Roth. Um, people like Vladik are clearly you know, a, a piece of work. My point is, is that maybe for others, and the idea of who says you should get married again? Um, the you know, Part of the, there's a, a sort of a taboo or an aspect now that you're married, there's a ceremony, you are now Again, second marriage, but it's still ish ishto. There's a chad gufa. Uh, maybe what makes more sense psychologically is just. Let me just I, I'm sorry, you just stepped on another corner of mine. I think this, like, um, becoming one entity is something that should be banned from anybody's. <laughs> Okay, but it, but again, it is it is something that is in Chazal and it's in our tradition. Oh, um, it's it's in our genes. I mean, it's really again, you know, even though that term literally just means having sex, but still, we have much, you know, again, kabbalistically, it's the two souls meeting each other, two parts of the same soul. Yeah, here's the I thing. Yeah. So, so here's the thing, Shmilo. Okay, you shouldn't. You've gone through this difficult period. Okay, now you have a social relationship and it doesn't go to that next step where it's a marriage. They spend a lot of time with each other, these two widow and widower, but they don't go to that last step. I'll be getting into Stizzle now, I think so, no? I'm not as familiar, but there are plenty of oh, films. Please. There, there are plenty of films. This is, is Mouse from Meir Sharem. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So let's assume that, that is that better because it does not entangle. We didn't get the children yet, but it doesn't entangle the children. And in, in a way, you don't necessarily feel the hovering of the dead spouse because this is just. So it, it, you, you say it's. I highly it's, recommended. As an option to sitting home and watching reruns, highly recommended. And and and, and I think that the, the problem, of course, is is that you have halacha, from my point of view, rearing its head, saying, "Wait, you know, you spend so much time. There's, despite the fact that you both of you are already older, there's still hilchas yichud, and and rabbis will say." Look, we understand that you need some social relationship. Have a chuppah kedushin already. We'll get it done. I remember with my father. Oh, why don't you just go to a shear, darn it? <laughs> no, no what, what's usually said is, let's have a chuppah kedushin. And, and to me, the bugaboo of the chuppah kedushin, whether it's 
the, uh, as you called them, the protagonist or the children is such a big mountain to overcome that to me, it makes sense. Yeah, look, I don't care what you do. Yeah. And it takes the fun out of it too. You're no longer suiting. You're now sitting home waiting for dinner. It's not the same thing. So to me, that, that to me is, again, I don't know how you get around the halachic issue of spending so much time at night, et cetera. But I can tell you that where, where it's just about sort of having fun, it's much healthier because it doesn't have all that baggage with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, let's, let, let's, let's, let's end off here with the blended family issue. Okay, hmm. we talked about the 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 you know the 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 protagonist uh, how they feel and uh, what they what about again you know when there is this family issue and, and a lot and although they say it's not about money a lot of times it is as you know a lot of times it is is that um, uh, the the children uh, the, I- the IRS okay. They're worried about what's going to happen is, oh, now dad is getting married and now she's going to want to give these great things, these chashkala. You know, you can deal better with this college resources, which will include emotional resources as well. You I know, it's right. If you think of resources, yeah, I will now have less attention, less whatever. But let me tell you, there is something more um, um, insidious about the situation for children because they have no right to say, here, somebody else is replacing my mother, especially when they're beyond the, the being taken care of age. So they forever see it as a negative without, for, for them, a negative without a positive. Okay, so this person, let's say they're teenagers or, or even younger, they'll take care, but they're not the real thing. There's no way it can ever be the real thing. Whereas for a spouse, you could say this is the real thing, just a new real thing or Phase number two, for children, they'll never replace the parent. You don't do that. So yeah. there it becomes like, in terms of feeling lousy about yourself and feeling the need to act out, it's much more prominent. And it is a major disruption in so-called, what you call the families that still have children in the picture. At least right, right. Definitely children that need uh, daily involvement. But you know, I, I was, again, using the template of the older parent, who has gone through the death of a spouse, the children who have also been through the death of their mother, let's say, or their father, um, in some ways, especially as a, as, as, a spou- as a parent ages, the children can become protective. Um, and, and now that the uh, father or mother is now involved with someone else, you know, whatever psychological. Protective, you mean protective of a memory or protective of a relationship? That also, the... they're protective that maybe this person is. Oh, he's there. To... Oh, they're there to steal the fortunes. Yes. Right. Or, or, to... or... or as you say, to steal their fortune. <laughs> right. What they hope they're going to get, but in their mind, what they could say is, you know, uh, we're worried about the health and and concern about the, the surviving parent and. Is this the is this the best carrot keeper? Well, I, um, I, I, let me tell you two, two, two interesting examples. One is I, that I've seen a number of times here is when there's a question about medical stewardship over a spouse, and there's a strong disagreement between the um, uh, the spouse, uh, you know, in 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 fact, which is the current one, versus the children who feel it shouldn't be done. Um, that's kind of that, that can be kind of interesting. Sure. 
And I'm sure it happens because unlike a first and, year, and let me just say the second thing which is quite exciting is people at that age often have burial contingencies. Who are you going to be buried with? Of course. Who are you are you going back to your first land? Very often people have already, I mean, just to be macabre, they've already bought this plot, you know? And it's quite clear that this is a short ride or a relatively short ride we're taking. But when we're done, I'm going back to my real partner. And that's like quite a damper. That's quite a, they should make it illegal, you know? They should say, soon as you're, that's something I, I would bring up in the rabbinical board. It is, in, it is actually in the rabbinical literature. It is there. Uh, I would make. I would do a ban just for mental health reasons and to cut down on the t- t- expenses that these of counseling that these people need. Once you're married, you may no longer be with the spouse for four. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Rav Chaim David Alevi, the, the famous uh, chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, um, who uh, he has us about visiting the graves of your uh, departed spouse um, and, and, and showing, especially when you know, what that means for the first wife. The truth is you were doing Dafyomi. You remember the Gemara Mite Cotton talks about a, a widower who, uh, decide, who feels he needs to uh, get married uh, because he has small children that need to be taken care of uh, or uh, perhaps he has no children. And this is a woman that uh, is going to go out of town unless he marries her. So within 30 days of the death of his first wife, mm-hmm. he, ma- he remarries. And the Talmud says that if you meet, the Talmud says if you meet this person, that do not go into his house in front of his new wife and give him Nahum on the old one. That is considered uh, because the Talmud understood that do not disrupt what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Right. Despite the fact that everybody's aware that the previous wife has died, everyone knows that this is a marriage of convenience. Still, and then just to be modern about it, pictures. What do you do with pictures? Do you remove them? Oh, that it sounds trivial, but let me tell you something. This has been the the crux of quite a few conflagrations. Yes, it sounds to me like you've benefited from it in some way because these. Of course, it's my business. That's right. These problems. Snowball and eventually get to Sam Juni's uh, doorstep, right? My, my idea is if they're there anyway, they might as well come to me. I, I, I can't say that I'm happy when I see it, but you know, I think if it comes to me first, it's better for them too because I do a better job. But sure, sure. <laughs> right. So, again, in the couple minutes we have here, so what, what, what does happen there? I mean, obviously, you know, I, I mentioned to you, I think, uh, you know, pretty heavy situations. Uh, where you know it's the health stewardship and what is this new wife going to be doing to dad and is she who she really appears to be that's one thing and and you're right that is probably you know pro and a protracted discussion and every case might be different and 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 and, and people have to go back to their own corners and get rid of their as you say their uh, um, their neuroses and deal with it intelligently I think and this practically. is the source of marrying your wife's sister. I mean, that's an age-old tradition. 100%. It is. It is. And and, because it doesn't, because it alleviates these issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it mitigates them. All right. All right. Alleviating, mitigating. Okay. The the point is, is that it makes it less because there's familiarity. And the children, that's that's Aunt Molly, right? They don't and have the aunt same. always was babysitting anyway. 
Yes, you know? right. And there's enough physical similarity in other things that, sure, sure. Right? and uh, Chazal seem, right? and, and again, you're right, many rabbinic figures uh, uh, actually acted this way. Um, and it, it, it seems to be a very safe psychological thing. But what would you say? Let, let, let's you know, let's talk about something which is less protracted and less, um, like let's say let's talk about pictures from the first wedding. Right, the man had a house, and she, the new wife, moves in, and he has a prominent display of the the wedding with the wife who has passed away. What should they do? What would Sam Judy practically advise in most cases? Get rid of those pictures. What, what would you say? No matter what you do, you're going to have trouble, okay? You'll either have trouble from your own conscience and the rest of your family, or you'll have trouble from your new conscience, if I can call, call the person that. Sure, I don't, there's no answer. There is no answer. It's a situation, basically, you know, where you have two competing motives. There's, there's no answer. There's no answer. And, and to try well, to tell yourself that you're above it is also maybe... Um, it's deceptive. Uh, it's you're, you're, you're deceiving yourself. The, the new sure. wife might say to herself, I don't care that that picture is there, sure. but sure. really it does bother her because, sure. right? It's in, her, it's in her face. It's in her face, you know? Sure, 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 sure. No, there's no, there's no answer. If you think there, a, a lot of uh, clients or patients come and say, what is the answer? You know, I need this drug, but it has side effects. What should I do? There's no should. It's this causes this and this causes this. no should. There is no answer that's mandated. So no, I'm sorry. I mean, I, people would save themselves a lot of money not going to health professionals if they would know your question is, is like nonsensical. There's no should here. There's no should. Which sorry. Means, which means you have to tread into this and then sort of read. No, tread in and know there's going to be trouble. <laughs> So in that sense, you're not doing it over because the first the first relationship was not destined to be troublesome. Usually is, but it wasn't destined and it wasn't predictable. This is very predictable. Sure. And and, and as as you said, you should treat it almost like a medication with side effects, yeah. not possible side effects, definite side effects. It's, sure. Sure. it's like okay. you know, it's like you know you're taking the Percocet, but you know what's going to happen. Sure. It's going to it's going to uh, cause the pain level to uh, decrease. I was thinking more of chemotherapy, frankly. I was thinking more of chemotherapy. Sure, sure. Sorry to, you know, to to go downhill on this bad note, but it's reality. Sometimes facing reality is helpful in itself. Right, right. And But again, as you say, whether it's chemotherapy or Percocet, that is a better situation than being, having the cancer or the pain uh, take you uh, over for, as for a per- for many people, but again, better and worse is basically weighing apples versus oranges and coming up with a, a decision, you know, which is uh, okay, that's fine. That's the intensity fine. of loneliness and pain is sometimes uh, oh, it's has so many, uh, right, and, and can have, I would say, again, I think the numbers would back me up, a health, um, uh, such negative factors health wise. Sure. That that yeah. that it's probably worth at least sociability. Yes, marriage needs to be understood. And uh, I mean, and, and, I think my prescription would be 
And that I can say, you should feel less guilty. <laughs> I can talk, no, might as well whistle, whistle Dixie. All right. Yes. All right. As, uh, as darkness descends there in Jerusalem totally and completely, we can probably uh, uh, put a, a kibosh here and a curtain down on this one. Take care, Sam. We'll check you out next time, hopefully with uh, something that is a little more, uh, we can end with a little bit more of a positive possibilities. Take care, everybody. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye, then. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.